Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Welcome to Right Now-ish. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. In 2006, there were 173,000 people in California's prisons, the most the state has ever seen. The state was ordered to reduce the prison population. Then last year, many more folks were released during the pandemic. Now the state has around 99,000 people behind bars. With that change comes a wave of folks looking to successfully re-enter the community. Through my work, I've seen formerly incarcerated folks experiencing self-doubt, discrimination based on their record, and issues with learning new technology. The one guiding light for each of these folks I've talked with was relying on other formerly incarcerated people and advocate organizations to assist them on their path to re-entry. So for today's episode, I'm speaking with one of those guiding lights, a Californian who was incarcerated for doing something that the state is widely known for, being involved in the sale of cannabis. Evelyn LaChapelle is the owner of a cannabis business that's launching this fall. It's called 87 Months. The name of the business comes from the amount of time she was sentenced. In a country where cannabis was just deemed essential during a global pandemic, like, folks are still in prison for that. This week, we hear from Evelyn, who was at the crux of the war on drugs, reentry, and justice in America. More in a few. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 2013, I was convicted of three charges. I was convicted of conspiracy with the intent to sell over 100 kilos of cannabis, money laundering, and then structuring. 
structuring, meaning that I just avoided making transactions above $10,000 to avoid uh, the IRS. The crime that I committed was depositing cannabis profits into my bank account for a period of nine months. But because I exercised my right to a trial amongst my peers, I uh, suffered the trial penalty, which then gave me 87 months as opposed to six. I've read that at one point you were facing even more time. Oh, absolutely. The jury convicts me. I'm taken to jail. They send an officer to interview you while you're in custody, and they complete something called a pre-sentencing report. And that's where they come. They're like, how did you grow up? Did you have a college education? Do you have a career? Are you a criminal? Are you a repeat offender? What is your lifestyle like? Are you on drugs? I have a college degree, parents who love me, a career. So I'm thinking I am on the up and up here. I'm sitting there so proudly uh, in my prison uniform telling her about all of my accomplishments. That lady writes the report and she sends her report to the judge. And now it is the sentencing recommendation uh, that I receive 24 years in prison. And they use that 24 years in prison to blackmail me out of my appeals rights. So they say, if you waive all of your rights to an appeal, I, the prosecutor, will recommend to the judge that you get 11 years was his first offer. We went from 11 all the way down to seven. And when he got to seven years, I literally had no fight left. Ugh. The system, the system, the system. What kept you going during that period? You were without choice. I mean, you're, what are your options to not keep going? I did suicide watch the first night, I'll be honest. They strip you butt naked, they take your mattress, they take your blankets, they give you a vest to sleep in. And that is what my first night was like. And so I learned first day in jail that my emotions would not be accepted here. My grief would not be accepted here. And this would be the response for any tears that I shed here. Eventually, your sentence got reduced and you ended up spending five, not seven years incarcerated. But when you were incarcerated, you left behind your four-year-old daughter during some very crucial years. How did that impact you? I'm still learning the impact of that. In order to cope, though, with not being with my daughter, I had to, and very early on, realize that God had given me a daughter, but that I wasn't the only person equipped to raise and feed and, and nurture her. My mom and my stepmom shared custody of my daughter. They did one week, one week, one week. And so I say stepmom, but I hate the term because I feel Cinderella fucked that up for us, right? <laughs> Cinderella just, just fucked the whole stepmom persona up, but she was my light and my angel. And, and so just thank God that uh, I, come from a place where people were able to 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 do that while I was gone. That 
speaks volumes of the importance of family structure and having, you know, support and network. I really wanted to talk to you about your reentry process. What was it like when you started to look for work? I go to work doing what I had done. Built my career in hospitality, a sales and catering coordinator for a major hotel. And so I apply at the Omni in San Francisco and everything checks out and I get the job. Remember walking out of that job saying, it's done, right? You've gone to jail, it's over, you're working in the city. I'm excited about this stupid ass commute every morning. Like I'm probably the only one on the bar hella excited. People don't be excited on BART. There's nowhere to stand. Like it's early morning commute and I'm just excited to, I'm excited to be in a commute. I'm on the job for about a month and a half. A coworker Googles my name, takes it to human resources and they call me in the office. I think it was on a Thursday. When you Googled my name at that time, you got my college scholarship that I was awarded and you got this article from ICE that said I had like transported tons of weed. And so Human Resources asked me to uh, clean out my desk and leave the building that moment. I don't fit the perception that people will have of the incarcerated. I have a college education from Loyola Marymount University. I have a resume from the Marriott Convention Center, not just no regular run-of-the-mill ass Marriott. And here I am getting thrown out on the streets in the middle of the day. In your words, that made you realize that re-entry was a setup. And eventually you got involved with groups like The Last Prisoner Project, which focuses on releasing incarcerated folks who are still locked up for cannabis offenses. And now you're actually working in the legal cannabis industry. You're launching a brand of cannabis accessories and going to sell everything from infused wines to chocolates and grinders. It's named 87 Months. Can you tell me why you chose that name? 87 is the 87 months that I had to listen to that judge uh, sentence me to. And now I'm going to reclaim it and make it into my story of resilience. And it is my absolute intention to make sure that 87 represents women incarcerated. Not only just reclaiming the name, but literally reclaiming the product that you were tied up with as well, right? Like, how does that feel? Okay, so I've always loved weed, right? So (laughs) I'm from Oakland. I think it is safe to say that cannabis plays a major part in our lifestyle here. And I've always been a huge fan. I was always like, they called me like the blunt doctor growing up. I had all the gadgets, (laughs) etc. But coming home after going to jail for this plant, I was like, screw this plant. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to smell it. And then uh, my first job in the industry was at Vertosa. Love those guys. And my first team meeting was discussing sales in kilos. The righteous anger that sort of brewed in that meeting, like my paperwork says I went to jail for over 100 kilos of cannabis. And they're talking like sales goals in kilos. That's when I realized that I deserved a seat at the table. 
period. There's no way that I sit in room with folks who never really sold cannabis, who never risked their freedom for it. There's no way I don't deserve a seat at the table. And um, as appreciative as I am of all of my employment opportunities, I think it's important that I create my own seat. Marijuana is supposed to be something that assists you with mental health. And so I'm wondering, given your experiences, both up and down, like now when you look at marijuana, does it help you sustain mental health? Without cannabis, my attitude and my anxiety uh, is usually at 100. And so I'm asking a friend one day, Stephanie Shepard, she was incarcerated with me. She uh, received 10 years for cannabis. But I'm called Stephanie and I'm like, Stephanie, I don't know. They say that you can't be addicted to cannabis, but can't seem to stop. And she says, no, 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 I'm not addicted to cannabis. I'm addicted to way that it makes me feel. I'm addicted to not spazzing out on people. I'm addicted to being able to take a deep breath. I'm addicted to slowing my brain down enough so that I'm not overwhelmed. Um, I'm addicted to being a nicer parent. And none of the things on that list were bad. And so that is that is my argument for cannabis. Especially in our black and brown community, these are not things that we are pinpointing like I spazzed out on somebody. You just consume you just assume because I'm black and I'm angry. No, I spazzed out because I'm fucking overwhelmed. I've got five jobs, a kid and a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. And this cannabis allows me to say, Okay, there's 20 things on the list. What is number one? Otherwise, I have 20 things on the list and I'm trying to at least accomplish 20 at a time. Is there anything else people should know about you or the reentry process? We are living amongst many, many people who were previously incarcerated, many people who have not come to accept that and are walking and carrying lots of shame and lots of guilt because of it. And and I would just ask that people soften their hearts and their language. Um, and that that goes across the board. You just don't know who you're sitting with, right? And I've sat at tables where they're like, oh, he just got out of jail, he must be, he ain't shit. You, you like, and, I, and you either sit there and you, you take it and you own it, or you say, hey, I was just in prison too, you know? Um, and so I just, I just ask that everyone soften their hearts. This is the country with the most people in prison. You, if you don't think you're around folks who've spent time, then... Uh... Then you are not thinking at all. Evelyn, I sincerely appreciate you taking time to speak with us, especially on a day of such significance, the anniversary of your stepmother's passing. In many ways, this system is designed to take the fight out of people. But your latest endeavor shows that the system hasn't succeeded. I'm wishing you the best of luck. For our listeners out there, you can find out more info on her company at 87months.com. And you can follow Evelyn on social media at Evelyn underscore LaChapelle. That's E-V-E-L-Y-N underscore L-A-C-H-A-P-E-L-L-E. The producers of this show are Marisol Medina Cadena and Gary Baca. Our editor is Jessica Platchett. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Ashley Ng, Kiana Mogram, Sarah Pineda, and Justin Ebrahimi make up the engagement team. KQED execs are Erica Aguilar, David Marcus, and Holly Kernan. 
I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw, asking you to constantly question the system that governs us. Peace. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 